What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 8. This is Writing Excuses Q&A on character. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And I can't wait to find out what questions they have for us. Once again, we are at the Writing Excuses Retreat. Now, we are letting these wonderful folks model for you how to ask questions of us, just like last month we had them do. do. Next month, we will be going to you, our listeners, to give us questions about story structure. So be thinking of them already. You can post them on our forum. You can um, send them to us via the email, and we will put out a call for them. until we have actually posted the things. So if you want to ask something specific about one of those, then you can. Yes, next time we record, we will be recording and asking for questions right then after the other two episodes have gone live. So, right now, we want to have these wonderful folks ask us questions about character. Nicholas. How do you have a power, uh, a character grow in power or expertise without making the villain ridiculous trying to compete with them? Well, sometimes you have to reverse engineer this, which means that you have to start your character at a slightly lower level than you had planned so that they have some place to go. Yeah, that's the main thing I would say, um, is often when the story is being told, the villain has already arrived at their moment of power, and the protagonist has to rise up to compete with them. Um, Mm -hmm. This doesn't just happen in fantasy books, though. You can look at the Rocky films in Mm -hmm. this sort of way that 
Several of them are about, I am out of shape and I have to beat this guy. We now must spend a movie getting me in shape to beat this guy. Yeah. So what you're saying is montage. Montage, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I suppose you could just say um, The Wheel of Times was, was then a 14-book montage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, Stacy. <laughs> Stacy. How do you give a flawed character a growth arc without fundamentally changing what made them likable in the first place? Ooh. Ooh. That's a good That's cool. an excellent question. I think there are two parts to this question, actually, that I'm going to drill down into. One is the... How the kind of reverse of this, a lot of new writers want to start a character with an arc, and so they make them thoroughly unlikable at the beginning to have them grow into likability. So how do you tell a story like that? Um, and the second is also this idea, if they're going to grow out of their quirks or whatever, the, the tragic flaw, the thing that is stopping them that may have made them interested in the beginning, how do you maintain interest in this character? I say that one of the things that I see people doing is that when they want to have a tragically flawed character, that uh -huh. they will give them multiple flaws, which makes them annoying. And yes. And it also makes it hard for, to change them because then you are trying to change them along multiple axes. Right. So I think that if you pick one tragic character flaw to work on. Right. And the other thing is that the, the process of growing out of a character flaw mm -hmm. No one ever grows all the way out of their character flaw. Yeah. They just become better at managing it. The, that's a very good point. I, mm -hmm. I think, again, of those three sliding scales that I talked about, mm -hmm. since these are character things, um, the, the character of House, which was a very popular television sh show character for many years, you know, this is a great example of a competent character who's not very likable, mm -hmm. right? And you can't have him grow out of his curmudgeonliness because part of the fun of that show is the tension between competence and unlikability. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you give this character an arc where they suddenly are getting over all of this, then you're not going to enjoy them anymore. My Fair Lady is basically the same thing. Very competent, very unlikable. Um, this character well, does have an arc, however. Th those are both examples of a character who has an arc and is growing, mm -hmm. but is not overcoming that particular flaw. Well, yes. John Cleaver is the same way. You know, He has a flaw, but he's growing in other areas. Right. And the other thing about these characters is that they have someone who is fond of them. Mm -hmm. Someone who loves them because of their flaw, and that helps us, the reader, understand that that is possible. Yeah. At risk of foreshadowing story structure stuff, um, if, if your character, well, if, you know, look at House. House cannot overcome his curmudgeonliness because ongoing television series. But <laughs> Eliza Doolittle can overcome, you know, some of her unlikableness uh, That's funny because I was thinking. I was thinking of the of the professor. Uh, had, yes. Had, <laughs> mm -hmm. Either of them. Yes. You know, yes. Their their character arcs can run can run a full course, and you know, and we can reach the end of the story and stop. Right. Sunil, when you have a first person POV character, how do you convey the character arcs and emotional complexity of supporting characters since you can't see their thoughts and they have lives off the screen? It's, I mean... It's hard. It's, it's hard, <laughs> but you, you know your friends, and you know they're the ones that have, um, have character flaws, and you know the ones that you have to filter. And you are living your life as a first-person character. So when you're writing a first-person character, they are interacting and, and judging 
their their friends in the same ways. So one of the ways you can show this arc and show the growth is showing your character's reaction to them. So, you know, like I can I can examine Howard's dislike of mint in his chocolate as a serious character flaw because he expresses it to me verbally. He refuses to eat it. And if he at some point is convinced that that is wrong and eats a piece of chocolate with mint in it and declares it yummy, I would recognize that and respond to it. We could also see me, you know, she could observe me sneaking up behind her during her mirror scene. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe not. Okay. (laughs) The thing we said last week about making sure that everything is not about the main character is an excellent way to approach this. Um, when you get this problem, um, this is this is the whole problem with the Betchel test. Mm. The Betchel test is the idea that, you know, this this um, woman came up with a test she gives to movies where there are two women in the movie, number one, and did they ever have a conversation together? And if they did, was it a, not about a man? Um, the idea being that a lot of people, are um, males particularly, are making films where there are lots of guy characters, but there's only one woman, and if there is another woman, then they're talking about the guy characters, which again is, everything's focused on the protagonist. Um, That makes these people not seem to have lives at all. And in your first-person narrative, you know, everything about your life is in your head about you, but you see so much going on externally that is not, that gives you an awareness of other people. You need to convey that. There is a that I just thought up now. There is a version of the Bechdel test you could perform in a first-person manuscript. Does your first-person character ever observe side characters talking about something other than the, the first-person narrator? Is that is that mm-hmm. Bechdel? Is that saying Bechdel that is Bechdel. the way I've heard it say. B-E-C-H-D-E-L. Okay, yeah. Bechdel. You know, the, having your main character learn something they never knew about the side characters is kind of a... a an easy way to peek behind that curtain and realize that there's something back there, that they have their own life. Mm-hmm. All right. Gamma, let's do your question. How do you create an interesting, engaging story with a main character who is not the protagonist? So this is basically the great yeah. Gatsby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. How do you and how do you do that? They are your protagonist, but they are not the main they are not the the the, uh, the action, action character, character in this. Like, in the story. I mean, you know, though, really, it's more Holmes. accurate to call him Great Gatsby's monster. <laughs> no, one, no one ever reads the book. <laughs> so, how do you do this? This is a very good question um, because very rarely do you want to do this, but you certainly can. And some great stories have come out of um, this experience. The big danger is making this character too observational. Right. You still have to give them some agency so that there is some action that they can take. And you, you also need to give them something, some desire that they want, um, even if they are the support staff. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, several, several seasons ago, we talked about uh, the, the concept that you can have a story in which main character and protagonist and hero are three different roles carried by three different people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a structure that's very different from, from what a lot of people use, uh, but there are some good examples of it in, you know, in film and in books, and, and I like recognizing that those are three right. different roles. For all its flaws, um, that BBC, sh- BBC show about the Abbey, what's it, the Downton Abbey, mm-hmm. um, the 
I watched a few episodes of that with my wife, and I was pretty easy to identify who, quote-unquote, the main character was. There isn't one for that show, but who is the action character for that? You know, you've got the, the, the struggle between, like, the dad and his daughter, and that's kind of what everyone's fate depends on this. Very little time is actually spent on that, and, but it will have ramifications for the entire cast and their passions, their stories, who they're in love with, who they're, you know, who they're having conflict with in the staff, um, is all their stories, but they are not the action characters. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gamma, I want to actually ask you, while you're at the uh, microphone, will you please do our Book of the Week for us? Okay, uh, Theories of Cauldron by uh, Jim Butcher, narrated by Kate Redding. It's a fantasy based on Roman culture instead of the traditional medieval Europe. The main character is the only guy in the world without magic, and he has to go about uh, solving these huge problems when everyone, including himself, sees him as basically the least capable person in the entire world. Cool. Wow. Yeah, the the Furies of Calderon by Jim Butcher, uh, narrated by Kate Redding. AudiblePodcast.com slash excuse. Start and a trial membership. S- and, oh, Kate Redding's amazing. Yeah, I just wanted yeah. to say she's a fantastic narrator. Oh, absolutely. I, I've and I've read this book. It is an excellent fantasy book. Jim Butcher is better known for his urban fantasies with the Dresden Files, but his epic fantasy, I think, is some of the best out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kate Redding read the Wheel of Time books and is one of my favorite readers of all time. She also reads a little series called the Stormlight Archive. So um, I'm quite good. fond of that. Yeah. yeah. So I interrupted you as you were telling them the... Uh... Oh, I was just going to tell them that uh, this thing that we've been touting, they can get for free. All right. Next question. Nathan. So how can a novice or beginning writer tell when a plot is driving his character instead of the other way around, and how can you prevent this? Well, when your character has no life outside of the plot, and when, when all of the decisions that they're making aren't grounded... You know, there's, there's a bigger test I've oh, been yeah? able to find for new characters. It's when they force the characters to do things that are not foreshadowed or in their personality because the plot demands it. And the best way to spot this is is with external readers. Because particularly as a new writer, when you're in there, you'll be like, oh yeah, this is part of their personality. Because in the back of your head, you've known for chapters they need to do this certain thing in the plot. Um, When you hand that to readers, they'll be like, wait a minute. This Mm -hmm. is one of the easiest things for um, non-writer readers to pick out. A lot of times, they won't be able to pick out what's wrong with the story, but when a character acts out of character and the picture they painted for them, huge red flags, and they you will have them screaming and yelling at you, it's my experience. Yeah. It, 
what I try to do with mine is, uh, you know, always keep in mind what does the character want other than to, you know, other than the book, you know? And, and if you can't answer that question, first of all, then your character might not be well-developed enough. And if you get to a point where what your character wants, you know, is completely forgotten because they're just pursuing your plot, then that's a good sign. All right. Alan? How do you write a character with offensive or um, offensive views or attributes without offending or alienating your audience? Basically, oh. how do you divide a character views from your author views? You don't you Mary, oh, have you so not that's... just written an entire book dealing, dealing with, with this that. concept? <laughs> Got two books dealing with that mm -hmm. concept. Yeah, this is really actually kind of hard and, and, and falls uh -huh. into the category of we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah, yeah I kind of want a can of worms it, but it, short answer? Uh, short answer is that there's a couple of tools you can use. Um, one is that you can have other characters call them on it. Uh -huh. uh, that, that helps people know that there are alternate ways of thinking about things and that you, the author, are aware of and do not approve. Uh, you can also have the character say the thing and check themselves. Uh -huh. Again, this this helps. And the other thing is that even if the other characters don't actively call them on it, you can have someone else model different behavior, and you can have characters respond to them, even if it's just an eye roll at something that is offensive without actually coming out and saying it. And then the last piece is that whatever it is that they say, you can have a character model exactly the opposite behavior. Uh, a mm -hmm. really good example of this, uh, Howard Andrew Jones um, has a, a series that I've talked about before, um, which is a kind of Arabian Nights meets Sherlock Holmes. And the Watson character is, um, it, it's 14th century Persia, and he is a man of his times, and he just wants to, you know, he wants to be kind. He's a chauvinist. Mm -hmm. He just wants to be kind to the little ladies. And they get annoyed with him. And he's like, these women are so, so... Emotional. Yeah. And, yes. And, but, but their behavior is such that it is absolutely clear why they are annoyed with him. And it's because of his behavior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the Wheel of Time covered this in several places in beautiful ways that I like. The women would complain about the men gossiping while they're gossiping. And the men would complain about the women gossiping while they're gossiping about the women, yeah. um, which was a great way when you show both sides of this. And this is just yeah. a little bit of, um, of sexism on both parts, but it kind of shows both groups are being pretty sexist at this point. You know, that, that's a good way to do it, you know, when it's not just one character, but an entire yeah. culture that mm -hmm. espouses some kind of awful thing, whether it's racism or whatever. Um, showing, you know, you can find ways to expose their own inconsistencies, you know, with two different yes. groups that argue mm -hmm. about each other. You can show the repercussions of mm -hmm. a behavior and attitude that they all accept and yet is plain to the reader through dramatic irony that there's something deeply flawed about it. Yeah. One of the tricks that I used um, in one of the books was I had people saying um, horrible racist things in front of a character who is unable to respond to them mm. and showed the character kept using the narration to refer to the character who to refer to the the maid who was standing there 
and n I didn't let any of the main characters, any of the characters who were participating, they were all ignoring her, but I kept using the narration to refer back to her. That right. These are people who are saying things about this person. Mm -hmm. I've seen that work very well in film, where people are being racist and the servant comes in, and you can just see from her posture mm -hmm. how she's responding to this. Uh, let's do the next question. Alex. How do you write believable characters that have, for example, a different religion or age or gender than you? I've done a lot of this recently, um, and my big tip is forums. <laughs> <laughs> there are forums for everything out there, and if you go find one that... Don't find the detractors forum. If you want to go write about Scientologists, don't go to the anti-Scientologist forum. Granted, going there to get perspective is going to be helpful to you, but you want to... Your job as a writer, I think, is to anytime someone you're putting someone into your story who has a belief different from your own, your job is to research that belief and to make the argument as well as they would want it to be made if they were writing that story. Other characters can make completely different arguments and probably should. Mm -hmm. the, even the narrative itself can undermine that story. Let's say you're doing somebody who believes in white power. But you want the, that voice to be the argument they would make, not the straw man that other people assume they make. And those are very different things. And you get those by going to the forums and looking for the threads where they're complaining about what people say about them. Yeah, the, other, the other thing to bear in mind is that if the story is not necessarily about uh -huh. their religion or race or creed or gender that is different from yours, if it is about something completely different, Look for the ways in which these people are like you. Uh. There is uh, very specifically a Tumblr. I think it's called Diversity Check. I will make sure and give the correct URL uh -huh. to put in the liner notes. And it is a Tumblr full of people who, are, who say, this is who I am and this is my background, and I am happy to answer questions for you, writer, so that you, when you are representing my, me in your book, that oh, you that's are, cool. That's a mm -hmm. great resource. It's a fantastic really cool. resource. You know, um, one of the big benefits of, of that kind of a resource or a forum over a book, I mean, if, if you want to do research in book, hooray for you. Uh -huh. uh, but what you're going to get from internet communication is the actual voice of the person. Yeah. Not yes. somebody also, talking about their culture. Person. Yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> but, alpha but readers. their voice itself. Alpha readers from whichever culture or religion you're using is, is very important. Even if it's something simple as gun nuts, which gun nuts are like a religion, I have found, in writing a character in the Steel Art series who is a gun nut, in that there are various sects within gun nuts who disagree on the proper terminology and things to do, which is awesome. So getting different people with different perspectives. And I do want to mention something I said earlier. Um, I said your story can be designed in such a way that the story itself kind of undermines their position. Be very careful about that. Um, it feels to me that that's an easy way to. The example to I have is. Um, into a soapbox. Yes, exactly. Yasna, a character in the Stormlight Archive, is an atheist. Um, if I put her into a book and then show lots of gods doing things and that she refuses to believe in, to, to say those are gods, that's going to really undermine her viewpoint. Instead, I have to have her say, there has to be a rational argument on her part that says, that's not God, that's something else. Um, and you've got to work to make sure that your story isn't undermining who your characters are, except yeah. in special occasions. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I'm just going to flag that yeah. everything we've just talked about is for uh, 
current cultures yes. and that when you were dealing with historical cultures um, or I can't go find a message board of historical characters talking to each other? Strangely, no. You actually can, and they're called letters. Mm. Oh. <laughs> so looking for letters, uh, travel logs, diaries, uh, fiction written by, uh, by the culture that you are, are looking at. These are, these are all things that will help you understand uh, but what we're really saying is that you have to do a lot of research um, and and check in with people, and you can't rely completely and totally on the research. Excellent. We're going a little long this week because we have only one more question left, and I want to let him get to it. And also because these have been amazing questions. <laughs> they have been. And the next time we have these people ask questions, what we should let them do is give us episode topics. Mm. <laughs> Marty. What are some tips and tricks for writing a sympathetic antagonist? Give him a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> give, give them a, like Brandon was just saying, give them a rational argument for their own belief system. Yeah. yeah. Um, make sure that they, that they want something plausible and that they want it in a plausible way. I just find the commonalities. One. Find, yeah. find mm -hmm. the commonalities between them and the things that uh, we identify as good. You know, and maybe the thing that makes them the antagonist is just one piece, you know, the puppy, mm -hmm. the, the fact that they don't like mint in their chocolate. Yeah. You know, it's actually characterizing the, um, the antagonist is going to be easier than you think it is, meaning making the reader dislike them is going to be easier than you think it is, because if they're cross-purposes with people they already, you already like, they're immediately going to dislike them. So working a little bit extra hard on making that sympathy side is, I think, where you want to put your efforts. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys very much. This has been a fantastic um, session of questions, Ryan Excuses Retreat. Let's hear from you guys again. Um, you are awesome. Dan has our writing exercise. Okay, so this writing exercise, as always, if you haven't been following along and you're coming in new, you can just um, do this, kind of tweak it to your own purposes. But if you have been following along all month, we've been uh, doing writing exercises about a scene in, with a dead drop in a marketplace. Uh, what your goal is now, getting ready for structure next month, is you're going to look at that scene and then sketch out. You don't have to write them. Just sketch out what's going to happen in the scene immediately before and immediately after that dead drop in the marketplace. Yeah, everybody's been somewhere and is going someplace. And knowing that is the first step to creating a good structure. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.